Welcome to Heartland FM, wherever you are, and welcome to this programme. It's Heart and Soul with me, Howard Simpson. I'm presenting the work this morning of a small team, each of us working from home. Coming up this morning, we have Michael Barclay speaking to Peter Stanford, mainly about angels. Willie Wright tells us about the hymn writer Henry Francis Light. Adrian Plass reads a chapter from his book The Unlocking. And towards the end of the programme, we'll hear from the Reverend Matthew Robertson as he continues his life story. And we've got the notice board and music. Music, yes, and we start with something from Haydn's creation. It's Joanne Lunn with the All Souls Orchestra and Prom Praise Choir and The Heavens Are Telling.
And there you heard Joanne Lunn with the All Souls Orchestra and Prom Praise Choir, and it was The Heavens Are Telling. Now, the existence and appearing of angels, these have always been a fascinating subject. Here's Michael Barclay as he talks to author Peter Stanford. For more than 20 years, in more than 20 books, Peter Stanford has grappled with religious belief, starting with Catholics and sex. He's gone on to write The Lives of Martin Luther and Cardinal Hume and the biography of the campaigning Catholic Lord Longford. He's written about the devil, about heaven, and most recently about angels. He's written about history, theology, literature and art history, and some really honest and funny personal stories as well. Because although you were brought up a Catholic, Peter, you say you're the kind of churchgoer who always wants to jump up and argue with the sermon. Yes, I've never done it yet. I keep um, there, have, there, have been, there have been some very close moments where I think, no, what you're saying is wrong. I suppose the important thing is I'm still there, really. I still go and I still listen, but um, uh, it's a critical listening. Well, you've brought us a playlist which nicely uh, incorporates both the naughty and the beatific, by which I mean <laughs> <laughs> by which I mean <laughs> devils and angels and some powerful... Oh, right. I was wondering what naughty was. Really, but anyway, carry yes. <laughs> <laughs> Naughty devils and some powerful political protests. Well, let's start with the angels, because uh, the first piece is by that extraordinary woman composer Hildegard of Bingen, and I think someone you've become much more interested in over the years. Yes, uh, she keeps coming up in, in different of the books that I've written about. I'm, I'm very drawn to her anyway, because I am, as a kind of mass attender, I feel the absence of women on the altar. I mean, obviously, women feel it more than I do, but I, I'm drawn to those characters in history who show us that women have something so important to bring to faith. So Hildegard attracts me in that way. I mean, I'm dazzled by the range of things that she did. You know, she grew her medicinal plant. She was a scientist. She was an artist. She was a musician. But also, angels had been appearing to us from the age of three. And one of the really important things that she says is that she was always awake when she saw them. An awful lot of visions of angels or encounters with angels are done when people are asleep. Jacob's dream in the Old Testament. Hildegard was absolutely clear she was awake and she always heard music when she saw them. Music from the 12th century, Benjamin Bagby directing Sequentia in Hildegard of Bingham's O Gloriosissimi Lux. And we'll come back to Peter Stanford after some more music. And it's a tune from Beethoven's Choral Symphony this time. The All Souls Orchestra and Prom Praise again. It's an invitation or instruction. Perhaps the angels could be included in the invitation to sing to God new songs of worship. Thank you. 
Now, what was it about angels, Peter Stanford, that drew you to them in particular? Um, partly it was a part of a process of exploring, which had really started with writing about the devil and then looked at other, in a way, things that had come through from childhood, from my childhood beliefs. And as an adult, I started thinking, do they have any relevance anymore? Do they mean anything anymore? And angels in particular, I think, very much part of my childhood. You know, we used to go to bed every night and say the prayer to the guardian angels. We talked about guardian angels watching over us as children growing up. Um, but I had also, through my work, I, I write uh, uh, newspaper articles for the Daily Telegraph, feature articles for the Daily Telegraph. I'd come across a woman who I'd been sent to interview, a woman indeed, who said she saw angels. And I went along, and I suppose I felt quite sceptical going along. And then once I started talking to her and felt that she was sincere and that she wasn't making it up... Um, it made me look into that, that whole area of people who think they see angels. And what I discovered was an extraordinary thing, that one in three people in this country say that they have a guardian angel, and one in ten people say they've experienced the presence of an angel. So I'm really not very good at maths, but, you know, that makes it a, a bigger number than the people who actually say they believe in God. About 25% of people nowadays say they have a strong faith in God. So angels were always the messengers who conveyed God's message. But here we we have more people believing in guardian angels than believing in God. So angels, in a way, had become the message. So I just thought, what is that about? Your mother, your mother had a, a guardian angel, did she not? She did indeed. She did indeed. So growing up, um, my mother was disabled. My mother had multiple sclerosis. And uh, one of the things that she, she was a wheelchair user, she used to drive, some people might remember those um, blue Invercars, three-wheeler things that were given in the 1970s to disabled drivers. A bit like a Reliant Robin, but without the styling. Um, she had one of those, and what you were meant to do was get into it and pull your wheelchair in afterwards, and she never did. She always left the wheelchair on the drive at home and went off and did whatever she wanted to do, and it threw the car window. And my dad, who was quite a pessimistic character, and he would say, you know, you're going to come home one day, and that wheelchair is going to not be there, and what will you do then? And she would just look at him and say, oh, Reg, don't be so silly, my guardian angel's watching over it. <laughs> and it was always there. And in that childlike way, I just assumed that's why it was all... I just took it for granted. It was part of the whole fabric of childhood. And so I suppose one of the things uh, that prompted me to write the book, and, and it's what's prompted me to write some of those other, the, the Devil, the Heaven book, is I thought, what do I think about that as an adult? Was it just a childish thing? Was it a kind of silly notion? Or did it have something to it? And I suppose that's what takes you to people like Hildegard of Bingen, to Thomas Aquinas, to Blake, to Milton. It wasn't silly and childish. It was a really powerful way of trying to understand the human relationship with the cosmos, the human relationship with God. I'm Michael Barclay. We're speaking to Peter Stanford there. I sometimes think my guardian angel had a hard job as some of the things we used to get up to as children, but that's another story, I guess. We'll have music, and we'll move away from the more classical composers now. Let's do something with a, a Celtic sound. Steph MacLeod and the Celtic, or Celtic rather, Worship Collective, and Be Thou My Vision. <laughs> Not be all else to me, say. 
Steph McLeod and the Celtic Worship with Be Thou My Vision. And now we come to the notice board. Mainly internet stuff again, as is the last few weeks. Uh, the Upper Tay Churches, a service available from their websites, for example, Aberfeldy, Dallanweem, Logirate, also available by phone, 01887 for the Aberfeldy code, then 440446. That's 01887 440446. And then you wait about 20 seconds or so for it to start. Also, on the websites, you can read a print version of the sermon, if you so wish. But Lockery Church of Scotland, the service available from their website or Facebook page. This one can also be heard by phone. The number for that is 01796 for the Pitlochry code and then 517004. That's 01796 517004. Pitlochry Baptist Church have a service at 11 o'clock on their YouTube channel and that one is also here on Heartland FM at 1 o'clock, sound only obviously. Uh, on their YouTube channel you can pick up quite a few of their other output as well. Similarly for Dunkeld, Dunkeld service is available by the website and the YouTube channel and there are various things on it as well. Most of the Perth churches have services available from their websites as well. But once again, I'll mention Perth North, as the minister, Ken Stott, has a daily piece on their, web, their Facebook page. Maybe some of the others do as well, but that's the one I know about. In addition to that, some churches are using Zoom for small groups, uh, friendship groups, prayer meetings, discussion groups, virtual coffee mornings and that kind of thing. Now, you'd be as well to uh, ask someone in the church of your choice if there's something that's suitable for you. My co-presenter David Wilkie has been developing a podcast site called Scott Thoughts. That's Scott Thoughts, one word but capital T in the middle of where thoughts comes in. It's available via Spotify. So far you can find pieces there from Mary Haddo, the late Les Brown and Willie Wright, who did a series here on Heart and Soul, a series on hymn writers and some contemporary Christian songwriters. That's quite a few years ago now, but you can find that there. So that's on Scott Thoughts via Spotify. Sounds inspirational here on Heartland FM on Tuesday evening, 7 o'clock, repeated on Thursday evening at 10. And that will be Dave Barry with a selection of contemporary songs. Music now, and it's Charlie Lansborough, and the song is just called The Saviour's Song.
The Saviour's Song with Charlie Lansborough. And I see that it happens that it comes from his album, which is, this happens to be called Heart and Soul, same as this programme. Now, Willie Wright was Minister of Pitlochry Baptist Church some 12 or 15 years ago now, and one of Willie's special interests was in hymn writers and the stories behind some of their hymns. And uh, over the years he amassed quite a wealth of information on the subject, and also during his time in Pitlochry, Willie recorded a number of pieces for Heart and Soul, pieces about hymns and their writers. And starting today, we're going to listen to some of them now and again over the next few weeks and perhaps months, not every week. I should also say that you'll be able to hear them again, if you wish, on David Wilkie's podcast site, which is Scott Thorpe's, or you can access Scott Thorpe's via Spotify. It's capital S at the beginning of Scott and capital T at the beginning of Thoughts, but all one word. While you're there, you'll also be able to preview some still to come on Heart and Soul, if you so wish. So, anyway, let's hear from Willie Wright now as he talks about the hymn writer Henry Francis Light. Let me tell you about a man who was born in Scotland, who was educated in Ireland, and who spent most of his working life in England. 
And if I can add, he actually died in France. His name was Henry Francis Light, uh, born in Ednam, just outside Kelso in 1793. And uh, he educated in Ireland uh, in Trinity College, Dublin, graduating there when he was 21. And then he became a minister of the gospel. In the early days of his life uh, as a minister, uh, he had occasion to visit an older minister who was dying. And as he visited this man, uh, they began to discuss what it was all about and the meaning of life and the question of life after death. And as the old man and the younger man together poured over Paul's letter to the Romans, they discovered that it was possible to know peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That older man found a faith with which to die, and that younger minister found a faith with which to live, and a faith to preach. He moved on to be minister down in Cornwall, and it was there he met the lady who was to become his wife. She was an ardent Methodist, and uh, Henry Francis Light was an Anglican. They moved to Devon, to the fishing village of Brixham, and he had a very excellent, fruitful ministry there. An interesting thing to note was that uh, on a Sunday morning, when he got the pony and trap out, uh, his wife would come with him, and they would... Uh, ride along the road and he would stop at the Methodist chapel and she would get off there and go in to worship there while he went along to the Anglican church to conduct the service. He would then collect her uh, on the way home. They would have their meal together and then for evening service she would accompany him to the Anglican church and it seemed to work out very, very well. Henry Francis Light uh, loved his people Henry Francis Light wrote a good number of hymns. Perhaps two of the most well-known are Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, based on Psalm 103, and that lovely hymn, Abide with Me, Fast Falls the Eventide. That may very well have been one of the last hymns that he wrote, based on that lovely story in Luke chapter 24, where the two were walking on the road to Emmaus and were joined by the third person. And... Uh, they said to him, Stay with us, abide with us, for it is to odd even, and the day is far spent. Henry Francis Light, born in Scotland, educated in Ireland, worked in England, and then died in Nice, in France, where there is a memorial to him. We give thanks to God for the hymns that he wrote and for the life that he lived. And there you heard... Uh, Willie Wright talking about Henry Francis Light. And, well, here, abide with me just in a few minutes after I remind you that you're tuned to Heartland FM on 97.5 or the Digital Access Channel or heartland.scot. And if you're in one of the hospitals in the Dundee area, it's Bridge FM for you. But by whatever means and wherever you are, welcome to Heartland FM and welcome to this programme. It's Heart and Soul. My name's Howard Simpson and I'm presenting this week uh, uh, the work of a small team, each of us working from home. Quick reminder too of our sister programme, Sounds Inspirational, uh, this evening, sorry, Tuesday evening at 7 and Thursday evening at 10, that's a repeat on Thursday, and uh, Dave Barry's selection of music then. But meantime, here is Abide With Me and it's sung by Harry Seacombe. 
myself my guide and stay can be through cloud and sunshine Seekum singing Abide With Me. Next we're going to listen to Adrian Plass as he reads another chapter from his book The Unlocking. The book is published by the Bible Reading Fellowship. Born Guilty If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. I once knew a man who, for a time, espoused the health, wealth and sinlessness movement. When his eyesight began to fail, he refused to wear glasses, because to do so would reveal lack of faith in God's healing promise. Unfortunately, he continued to drive a car while he was waiting for this miracle, and a number of local citizens were drawn into sins of cursing and ill-temper by the near collisions that resulted. The wealth side of things didn't go too well either, I seem to recall, and if he stayed sinless in the face of all that, he doesn't belong in this world. That man apart, I don't think I've ever met anyone who seriously claimed to be without sin. I have, however, met two other kinds of people. First, There are those who freely admit to being guilty of faults and vices, but see no connection between human shortcomings and a God they probably don't believe in anyway. Their sins, they would say, are not much different from anyone else's, and of course they're right. What they don't see is the potentially disastrous gap between themselves and God, caused by the sin of mankind, as opposed to that of any individual. God help us to find more effective ways to communicate this urgent truth than some of the expensively ineffective ones we've used in the past. The other kind of people are those who put on a sort of guilt suit every morning. This is nothing to do with conviction of sin and repentance. It's to do with being so obsessed by the probability of failure that we lose sight of the fact that Jesus died precisely so that we could find peace. I'm afraid church groups can be less than helpful in this area. Wherever the sheer niceness of God is unacknowledged, you will find folk who really are crippled by guilt. To those people, I believe God gently says, I understand how you feel, but look, I'm more concerned with your refusal to accept my gift to you than I ever was with those things you gloom over every day. Read about the prodigal son, children, and lighten up. Pray with me.
I've read the story of the prodigal son, father, and I realise that as far as you're concerned, repentance is a joyful thing. We confess our sins and you throw your arms round us. Big party, great stuff, but, Lord, some of us are diseased with this guilt thing. We've grown up with it. We're weighed down with it. We can't get rid of it. Far from saying we have no sin, we don't accept forgiveness when it's offered to us. We need to come within the orbit of your fondness, Father, to know that the wanting of us is really real. We need to feel clean as well as being clean. Thank you for being so nice. Work a little miracle so we can believe that as well as saying it. And we shall have something to say to the ones who don't connect their sin with you at all. Amen. And we'll hear Adrian Plass reading another chapter from his book, The Unlocking. We'll hear that next week. I sometimes think that uh, God forgives us if we ask him, but it can be hard sometimes to forgive ourselves. Back to music, though, and we have Gaither's homecoming friends. Our lead singer here is Lily Weatherford. The song is The God on the Mountains is the God in the Valley when things go wrong.
Lily Rutherford with Gaither's Homecoming Friends. The song was The God on the Mountains. Now, in recent weeks here on Heart and Soul, we've been listening in, so to speak, as Matthew Robertson tells Pitlochry Church of Scotland Guild about his life. Today we hear about life as an army chaplain during the Irish Troubles. Now, I'm still frequently asked about my service in Ulster during the Troubles, so I'll say a little bit about that. It wasn't pleasant, it was dangerous, it was difficult. You didn't know friend from enemy or when bomb or bullet would destroy life or limb. Over the course of six years there, during the 70s and the 80s, I served in almost every part of it, from Londonderry in the north, down to the border areas, bandit country, South Armagh, uh, bandit country as it was called, in the south. But it was quite dangerous, I suppose, eh? Because of IRA activities in the south, road transport was forbidden. It all had to be done by helicopter. Whenever there was an incident, a bombing or, or a shooting, I made a point of getting to the scene quickly, being seen with the commanding officer, or better still, the local priest. I'm talking particularly about the city areas, but Belfast, a short strand area of East Belfast. And commanding officer and I, or the priest and myself, would simply walk down the street together and speak to the crowd that appeared in seconds from nowhere. The women folk appeared banging dustbin lids and shouting abuse and generally creating mayhem. But they would, mostly they would listen to the commanding officer and myself, or the priest and myself, um, when they would respond to the Ulster vocabulary was just unrestrained uh, abuse. I've heard some fancy swear words from the Catholic ladies <coughs> of East Belfast in particular. But they do have respect for the clinical caller, as I think people in Scotland still do. I heard a story from a colleague there not long ago who was a minister in Helensborough and he was going into uh, I suppose Glasgow one day and he was approaching a roundabout and he saw a fire engine coming up to the roundabout. He had a big Volvo car, so he clapped on the brakes and a little van ran at the back of his big Volvo car. So the boy got out and realised that his van was considerably modified in the front end. <laughs> so he started swearing. And then he saw the minister's clerical caller. Gee, mister, it's a rare set of brakes you've got. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, after an incident, when the men were back in, in barracks, I would get them, get them together and speak with them. You'd appreciate that in a close-knit Scottish regiment where the men all know one another, they feel deeply the loss eh, of one of their number. Invariably, they're very angry. But being under discipline, they continue to act with commendable restraint. I usually come back to conduct the funeral service. And a military funeral is always a harrowing affair. Soldiers belt or moral medals in the coffin. And the lament played in the pipes has always got a tremendous impact on the sensitive Scottish heart. It's always a young life that's lost. As I said, Ulster was difficult. Yet I do stress and stress strong that Ulster is a lovely country. 
and whom no country could produce finer people. People who bounced back with an irrepressible determination and good humour after each atrocity. I met some very fine people, professional people. And sometimes as they spoke over the troubles with me, I would say, why don't you get out? Get away from the problem. Get away across to Scotland or England, away from this trouble where it's safe. And I said, no, no. We wouldn't have our own people in these dark days. They're not sort of lawyers it's commendable. And I used to meet some fine Catholic people too. I used to go into the, the Musgrave Park Hospital where the, I, where the IRA eh, were captured and wounded were in hospital. And I would speak with some of them <coughs> and a lot of them had been forced into, into the situation. And some of the fine Catholic people, one old priest I used to speak to, was just broken by the evil that surrounded him. And to see such evil perpetrated <coughs> there in the closing years of the 20th century, surely tragedy. Presently, while a somewhat shaky peace agreement appears to be holding, we yet know that the sentiments of Irish nationalism bubbled not far below the surface. As indeed, so do the sentiments of Nazism bubble away below the surface in, in Germany. And you can only hope and pray that with the recent election where Sinn Féin were voted in, things don't progress to the troublous times of the 70s and 80s of last century. There's a strong suspicion that Sinn Féin is but a mouthpiece for the IRA, I don't know. And we'll hear another instalment from Matthew Robertson uh, next week on Heart and Soul. Meantime, we'll go back to Gaither's homecoming friends. This song is just called Bigger Than Any Mountain.
Hey, there's homecoming friends and bigger than any mountain. And that's it once again for Heart and Soul. Thank you for listening. Our thanks too to Matthew Robertson, Adrian Plass, Willie Wright, Michael Barclay and Peter Stanfield for their contributions today. This edition of Heart and Soul has been compiled by a small team and I'd like to mention in particular David Wilkie and Sam Ross. Sam puts all the pieces together to produce the final product. However, Eddie Rose is on after the news at 9, Colin Phillips at 11, Dave Barry with the service at 1, Anne-Marie's at 2, Mike Marwick at 5, Ian Moyes at 7 and Chris Stanton at 9. That's all here on Heartland FM. Meantime, this is Howard Simpson wishing you a good day, a good week and God's blessing. And here are all all sons and daughters and Christ be all around me.
today.